The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Excuse me, I'm, I'm going to go to verse 18. Okay, this is proceeding. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. Be to God. 
Let us bow together for a moment of prayer. Eternal God, by the same Holy Spirit who first inspired the writing of the ancient words we have read and heard, we ask you now to speak to our hearts and minds. Grant that from this witness we may be strengthened for the call of discipleship that comes to each of us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, you know that we have a great many different customs that have become a part of our observance of Advent and Christmas. And by far the most familiar one is the creche or the nativity scene. Uh, I've learned over the years that these scenes may be made of wood or plastic or stone or ceramic or oyster shells, even corn shucks. Uh, saw one last Christmas that was made of nuts and bolts. Uh, by an automobile mechanic. Some of them are table-sized, others are life-sized. And I would guess that all of us have seen portrayals of the story of the birth of Jesus that involved real people and real animals. Uh, I vividly recall back in the early 70s, uh, we were uh, in New Bern, North Carolina, uh, and visiting a live nativity at a very large Methodist church uh, for which a sheep was not available. No one in the congregation owned a sheep. And so the church used a couple of very large, unclipped French poodles in place of the sheep. <laughs> and they looked pretty good. So. <laughs> Nativity scenes often include both biblical and non-biblical elements. We, we usually place the wise men at the birth of Jesus instead of having them come much later, uh, as Matthew uh, indicates. We impute a certain glamour or charm to the stable or uh, cave where Jesus was born that those places simply do not have. In some reenactments, the, the angels, the heavenly host, may be as likely to sing a chorus of jingle bells as glory to God in the highest. But underlying both the fact and the fantasy of our nativity scenes, there is something of great importance. And that is that through this symbol, we remember a vital part of our Christian history, much as we do in baptism and in celebrations of the Lord's Supper. It's different, to be sure, but it represents our effort to affirm that we believe God was present in a real historical event of lasting significance. There in a place called Bethlehem, in a world of conflict between Jews and Gentiles, in the lives of real people, Joseph and Mary, God became flesh and dwelt among us. So regardless of how simple or how ostentatious our reenactments might be, this affirmation is the heart of it all. We believe the birth of Jesus was an historic act of God that occurred in a particular place, at a particular time, in the lives of particular people. It's not surprising, of course, that we would uh, find ourselves embellishing our portrayals of the birth of Jesus. It seems like we always want more drama, more show from God. It's really hard to understand why the creator of heaven and earth with all the power in the world at his disposal 
would do things in such ordinary ways. We want to see God in what's dramatic and extraordinary and unusual and not so much in what's common. It seems odd to us, for example, that God would be revealed through Israel rather than through Rome. It seems strange that the Savior of the world would be born in a place like Bethlehem instead of in the imperial capital. It's peculiar that the God of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would come into the world through a poor peasant family. I've often thought that maybe if God had chosen to come in some aristocratic Jewish family that everybody knew and respected, people might have recognized their son as the Messiah, and the whole history of the world would be greatly different. But God just doesn't act that way. God became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, the child of the Holy Spirit and of Mary, the betrothed of Joseph the carpenter. No headlines in the Bethlehem Post and Courier, no announcement in the Temple Pelican newsletter. A couple from a small town had a baby boy. Big deal. With all that was going on in the world at the time, with the registration and the taxation and all the other world events, no one really noticed except a few shepherds out in the field looking after sheep and perhaps a few uh, astrologers from the Far East. And yet in this ordinary event, the drama of salvation with its global and eternal implications was taking place. What a profound mystery that is. And the mystery is compounded if you consider the relationship between Joseph and Mary. They were not quite married. They were a little more than engaged. They were betrothed, an arrangement set up by Mary's parents, and it was binding under Jewish law. Their obligation to each other could be broken only by a public decree of divorce. And there was Mary expecting a baby, and it wasn't Joseph's child. So now Joseph faces a torturing decision. He was a righteous man who obeyed the law. He had every right to break off the engagement, to put Mary away. But Joseph was also a man of compassion, and he loved Mary, and certainly did not want to embarrass her or humiliate her in any way. So whatever indignation he might have felt was tempered as he agonized over what would be the right thing for him to do. In, in the lesson from Matthew's Gospel, we see Joseph there wrestling with this great mystery before him. We watch as this particular man is standing face to face with the God of the universe. We see an ordinary man dealing with the presence of the living God in his life, trying to discern what it is that God requires of him now that God has chosen his particular relationship with Mary as the avenue for this mighty act of salvation. And as we read this account, I think we find ourselves caught up in it too, caught up in what's happening here. And we begin to understand from this account that God's act of salvation continues in and through us as God comes not in clouds of glory or with trumpet fanfares, but in the earthly particulars of our lives. God comes to us 
in ordinary people, in ordinary relationships, wrapped in the sounds of streets and homes and commerce. And like Mary and Joseph, we discover that God is not distant from us at all. God is everywhere we are, coming to us, revealing himself in ways we do not expect. Over and over and over again, you and I are confronted by the presence of God telling us, do not be afraid and have the courage to live your life in faith and obedience. Every year as Christmas come, comes around, it sets before us a basic question. Is it true, do we believe, that God becomes flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, born in a manger for you and for me? And the right answer is yes. Yes, not just as a principle of theology nor as an article in a creed, but yes, as a matter of particular history. And because that is true, you and I, like Joseph, have many opportunities to respond to his incarnation by living lives that reflect in very specific, very particular ways the spirit of grace and compassion that we find in the one whose birth we celebrate. Now the response that we make to God's presence in our lives will take many different forms. It will be unique for each of us. For some of us, it will mean refusing to allow seeds of anger and jealousy to find fertile ground in our hearts. For others, it will mean a renewed determination to believe the best about other people and not the worst, to look for the good and not the evil in others. Some of us might be led to explore ways to help those uh, whose lives are broken to find healing or to help those who are downtrodden to be lifted up. It could mean that when we bear witness to our faith, as we all certainly should do, that we will take care that our witness is not boastful, lest we become stumbling blocks instead of stepping stones for those who are still growing in their faith and who are wrestling with doubts. But for all of us, it means that we, like Joseph, will be open to what it is that God wants to do through us to ensure the spread of the good news to more and more people in this world and to initiate the age of righteousness of which the prophet Isaiah spoke. Who could have imagined that ordinary people like Joseph and Mary would be used by God in such a remarkable way? That their particular relationship would be the channel by which God would become flesh and live among us. But it's true. God does come to us in the particular lives of particular people. Even now, to our left and right, in front of us, behind us, in our hearts and minds, there are men and women through whom God comes into your life and mine. Some are people that we love and who love us. Some are people we've hurt and who have hurt us. Some are people that we have used 
Others are people who may have used us. Some are people we've just ignored. And some may be people who have ignored us as well. But God comes to us in just such people and calls us to respond in faith with particular acts of love and mercy and compassion. He calls us to let the word become flesh again in the particular relationships of our lives and not to be afraid of what we might be led to be or to do in those relationships. When Joseph was confronted by God in the particular circumstances of his life, he was not afraid to take Mary, his wife. And when she had borne a son, he did as God had instructed him. He called his name Jesus, Savior. And the lesson for you and for me in all of this is very simple. Follow the example of Joseph. Do not be afraid of the ways God may be at work in the particular circumstances of your life. Receive him. Welcome him. Joyfully give yourself to what God wants to do in you, through you, around you, and for you. And remember, always, always remember that while God has come to us in Jesus so that the world through him might be saved, he has come for you in particular. Thanks be to God.